to the Prehistoric Life Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Crawford, and today we have another interview with Clayton from the Dinosaur Cowboy. There's his Instagram for anybody who wants to go check him out. I always try to promote these people because I love all of their content. It always makes my day just seeing whatever they're posting. So please go check them out. They've all got really amazing content. So welcome on to the show. Thanks, Eric. Nice to be here. So, I mean, do you want to tell them a little about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I hunt fossils for a good part of my living. Uh, my own small ranch in Montana. I have no formal training in paleontology, but we've been blessed and found some of the coolest discoveries on the planet. Um, our major, one of our, our first major discovery was, uh, or my first major discovery was this little stygy Moloch up here behind me. Um, I don't know if you can see that little cast. It looks like a dragon. Um, it's the most complete one of that species of skull of that species known. And it's really only known from the skull. There's not a whole lot of postcranial material that's been found with it. I found that one in, uh, let's see, I think 2003 and it kind of got me started. And then in 2006, we found the dueling dinosaurs, which are now going to be on display this coming spring in Raleigh, North Carolina at the, um, Raleigh museum, natural museum of natural sciences in Raleigh. And so I'm pretty excited about that. And then, uh, yeah, we did two seasons on Dino Hunters um, on the Discovery Channel. Check that out, too. But, uh, yeah, you got some questions for me, Eric? All right. Now, I'll link those down below for anybody uh, who wants to check out the Dino Hunters. And you said your brother's website was your brother? Yeah. My, my brother actually takes people out dinosaur hunting on his, his property. And, and uh, yeah, you can book a dig with him if you'd like. So I'll link those down below for anybody who's interested. So. We'll start off with a question that I usually start off with everybody because it's just the most generic question. What is your favorite dinosaur? Oh, man, I have lots of them, but I'm, I'm real partial to the Stygimolarch. As I said, I found that skull up there and that got me started into paleontology. And, and uh, so I'm pretty partial to that one. But I also like, really like the Nanotyrannus, um, the dueling dinosaurs we found. Um, then when I found the nano tyrannus, uh, the meat eating dinosaur that was with the, with the fighting dinosaurs there, uh, it will actually settle the debate whether nano tyrannus is a real species or a juvenile T-Rex. And I've always been on the side that it's a, it's its own species. It's not a baby T-Rex. And, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see what the scientists uncover when they, when they really delve into that one. But, but, uh, so nano tyrannus and stygimolarch are two of my favorites, but I like ankylosaurs, triceratops. There's just a bunch of them. All the dinosaurs have special place in everybody's heart. Each one has their own section. That's right. I'm the same way. I'm partial to the Allosaurus. It's probably one of my most researched species for me. Okay. But I've got other dinosaurs. Like, I'm into sauropods. I've got Therizinosaurus is actually pretty up there, too. Yeah, that's a pretty cool yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you're in Montana? You're stationed out in Montana? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, do um, let's actually probably should put those last. Uh, so you found the dueling dinos, or you helped find it, and you said that that'll help kind of discover whether Nano Tyrannus is its own species or not. Yes, that's true. So you said it's its own species. Is there like? reason why you could think that it's its own species or not yes there is there's there's several differences from a from a, a t-rex um and i've also found a lot of uh small t-rex teeth um I, I do a lot of digging in an old river channel from when the dinosaurs were here and so i found a lot of shed teeth they shed them continually like sharks and i found baby tyrannosaur teeth that are not blade shaped like a nanotyrannus tooth um there's in my mind it's settled it's been settled since uh dr robert bacher and and hans dieter seuss described nanotyrannus in 1988 uh, as a new species and there's there's really only one guy that's really fighting it at this point and he's based his life's work on it being a juvenile t-rex and he just won't give up no matter how many good ones i find so it's kind of uh, to me it's it's kind of ridiculous and and mostly i don't like fighting about dinosaurs i like finding them so people can enjoy them the study of them is always better to have that you just find them for people to study that's <laughs> right I'm, I'm i like that <clears throat> i like that part of it and you can definitely tell the difference between a juvenile and adult you can oh so, yeah question 
the arms on a nanotyrannus are actually longer than a full-grown T-Rex already, you know, and, it, and if it, your arms don't shrink as you get bigger, um, that's one of the things that the rows of teeth in the jaw, there's actually, I think there's more teeth in a nanotyrannus jaw than there is a T-Rex jaw. There's more tooth sockets. Um, the, the nasals are actually fused on uh, at least one of the nanotyrannus that, that we found. We found two of the best ones out there. Um, and, on a, and the nasals on a T-Rex are not fused on an adult um, that, that we have evidence of. Um, those are just some of the, some of the more glaring features that are different on it. And it's just way more slender. The teeth are, are just more blade-like and, uh, nano tooth is just really blade-like and thin. And a T-Rex tooth is just, you know, beefy, like, a oh, like a banana. So, yeah, I mean, the T-Rex is clearly one of the lot larger predators out there. And nano Tyrannus determining from the name is pretty small true so yeah the, having the, a more developed oh go ahead i'm sorry you go i was just saying the nanotranus we found with the dueling dinosaurs was about 22 feet long so it's about half as long as a average t-rex skeleton so having that small of a creature that's developed on more than one occasion clearly shows that there's some kind of pattern kind of identifying that it's its own species true and and that and, you know and the fossil record is is very sparse you know it's it's missing pieces but we do have two of the most um complete nanotranus that, we, that we've discovered and dug up now and uh they both point towards it being its own species because i mean i guess my idea of that would be like if you find one nanotyrannus and don't ever find anything similar to it it could be like a rare case of some weird because I mean you have like humans with deformities or like you could have like an animal with a deformity then it could be that too but if you find it on multiple occasions then I could and there's definitely the like higher possibility of it being its own species true yep you're on the right track there because I mean even with the whole like feather debate you could always have one dinosaur with some weird feather deformity but then you find it on like hundreds of different species and across hundreds of different fossil records and you're like well then it's kind of there it's kind of evidence at right. this point right i mean what well, do you, you kind of cool the the dueling dinosaurs the nanotyrannus um they're, they're just exquisitely preserved in sandstone and uh so there was something on the neck uh we could see it in the in the lab once we got it to the lab and, and started working on it a little bit and and you know doing some surface preparation just to show people what we had uh we noticed something that looked almost like feathers down the neck of it but it could just be some kind of organic stuff some leaves or something that you know washed in next to it but but it's something something there and you know as, as a scientist start delving into that and really really studying it i'm really curious to see what they find on that because i actually think i'd this probably is just like some kind of weird stock photo. No, that's the wrong photo. Never mind. I thought I found a photo of it. Perhaps I do not. Okay. Yeah. I'll just, I actually, I actually have a little book here. I think I, I can, I can uh, show you. So this I don't yeah, know, book here, but uh, the Black Hills Institute of Geological Research in, in Hill City, South Dakota, put this book together on them. And I, uh, I don't know if you can if you can really see the picture in the ground of how they looked in the ground, but they that's the fossils as they were found when we started to excavate and uncover them. Yeah, so I mean, and obviously it, you don't just like find like a whole fossil standing out. So you're going to find like a part of it sticking out of a random rock, and then you take the rock back and you find more of it. Exactly. That's exactly what we did. Yep. So which part of this of the dueling dinosaurs did you like find first my friend mark and i and my cousin chad were out dinosaur hunting and it was my cousin chad's first time ever dinosaur hunting but anyway mark eatman uh was walking up this canyon and he found these little bone chips and so he followed what we call the bone trail up to where the bones were coming from and he actually found the source sometimes you just can't find the source you know you'll find some fragments but source is just you know either reburied or you just you just can't find it and in this case, he followed the chips right up, and it was part of a pelvis to a plant-eating dinosaur sticking out of the hill. And that day when we, you know, kind of left and parted ways, um, 
you know, Mark just said, Hey, if, if we ever, you know, ever decide to dig on that, give me a call, whatever. But it was a pelvis in the bottom of a canyon that, you know, to build a road down there to get this 500, you know, maybe, maybe 500 to 1,000 pound block of just a pelvis out. Nobody wants a pelvis just to sit on their desk or, <laughs> you know, most museums don't just want a pelvis for their exhibit. You know, they're not going to do a lot with just a pelvis of a dinosaur. So we weren't very excited. The only thing that kept us going was the femur of the dinosaur was articulated into the pelvis. So that gave us hope that maybe there was more of the, you know, maybe it was just a tail or the, the, the hips and the tail going in the hill, or maybe it was going the other way and we'd have the hips and, and you know, maybe part of the skeleton. We, we didn't know. Um, we didn't really have a lot to go on other than, than that articulated hip into the pelvis and, or I mean, femur into the pelvis socket. So at any rate, my cousin Chad, like I say, it was his first day ever. He's really talked me into going back. He's like, no, we found a dinosaur. We got to go look, dig it up. Well, I found a lot of sites that I have just wasted a lot of time on and there was nothing else there. And, you know, just because you found a dinosaur doesn't really mean you have anything until you're done excavating. And sometimes until you're done in the lab and know exactly what you have, you don't know if it's scientifically important or exciting or, or whatever. It's just, it's, it's really random how this all works. But at any rate, we, he, he talked me into going back and two weeks into it, I had the, the meat eater basically all, or I mean, I'm sorry, the plant eater fairly well exposed. And, uh, I'm working with a backhoe next, you know, working towards it because we had every bone laid out. The dinosaur was just complete. I mean, you could see it where every bone in the skeleton was. So I knew, you know, I didn't have to worry about hitting bone somewhere else out in the way or, you know, running into something. The dinosaur was all laid out and which is unusual. Usually they're scattered out and you get maybe 20 bones to an animal and it's over, a, you know, maybe a football field area that we scrape off and trying to find just the fragments that we get. And this one was just laid out like he died. And so anyway, I'm scraping away and I'm, I'm about five feet from the animal, just getting the overburden off, getting up to it. And I don't have 30 college kids running a shovel for me. I got to do all this work myself. And Chad and I did most of the excavation there. And, and Chad actually has cerebral palsy and now he's, he's, he's wheelchair bound. Now he can't, he can't even get out. But uh, back then, you know, 20 years ago when we found him, he was able to do a little bit of hiking and, and, you know, he could, he could do a little shoveling, not a lot. But anyway, him and I did most of the excavation. So I'm working with this backhoe and I actually hit the lower leg of a meat-eating dinosaur. And I went to dump my bucket and you could really see the, the bones were a very dark chocolate color and the sandstone was really a light tan. So you could just definitely tell when you're, you know, finding bone or whatever. It was just very easy. Dig that out pretty well. Yeah, you could really see the difference between the rock and the fossil, which is not, you know, always the case in the Hell Creek Formation. So anyway... Um, I go to dump my bucket and I see there's bone chips and I'm like, oh shoot, what the, you know, what's going on here? You know, how did I hit something way over there and jumped out and I brushed it off and all of a sudden this hand cloth starts to appear in this leg and holy cow, things change because I was working on a plant eating dinosaur and all of a sudden now we have a carnivore next to it and I, my mind is just going crazy. And, and then about two more weeks into it, I realized we had a complete skeleton to a nanotranus and it just, yeah, we couldn't make this stuff up. We were very blessed. And for those of you drop them on. this is a scientific recreation of nanotyrannus what they thought it could have looked like it could have looked completely different for all we know but that's, that's a pretty, that looks pretty good yeah <laughs> yeah i mean yep. it's, it's like a little leopard you know this t-rex is a lion nanotyrannus is a leopard that's kind of how i look at it i mean very possible i mean uh, we, I say we, in the paleontology community, I think his name is Michael Benton. I'm probably butchering his last name or forgetting it. He found a, a species out in like China that he determined from like the shape of the um, feathers in the fossil, like what color it was. And they figured cool. out it was a ginger. Which yep. is crazy. I mean. To think that it's like something that small it would make such a big difference right so i mean clearly this is shown like these dinosaurs in some kind of action and that was the cool thing about the dueling dinosaurs they really tell a story you know it's a snapshot in time i'd get just about anything to go back in time and see what happened that day and why those two dinosaurs ended up buried together and and you know what the circumstance were around that um I do believe they actually killed each other and they, there probably was a duel and they actually killed each other. Um, and I think some of that will come out, will come to light as they start studying them. Um, I, I just, I'm excited because they're, they're a Christmas present waiting to be unwrapped. Um, there could be 
you know, possible stomach contents in those dinosaurs. They're, they're so exquisitely preserved and, and we left them in the big blocks. You know, we didn't, we didn't take them out and prep and mount the skeletons or anything, which we were fully capable of doing. We just didn't want to lose that science. So we left them intact because they're just so cool. And you know, that we, we would have lost all that research capability had we just, you know, ripped them out of the ground and mounted them and sold them or whatever. It's just not what we wanted to do and not what we did. And, and now I'm, I just, you know, I've been waiting 20 years to see what, see what's in those jackets besides, you know, obviously two dinosaurs that probably killed each other. I mean, it could have been from anything really, couldn't it have? It could have been that they killed each other. It could have been from the KT extinction. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, the asteroid, I mean, that probably yeah. preserved a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's, it's fun to speculate, you know, and, and a lot of that, I think they'll be able to, you know, possibly determine it's there's, there's years and years and years of research papers to be done on these dinosaurs. I mean, I mean, we, we only have like the dead body in some kind of form that we know. So we don't know what happened. Right. It's rare to find anything in the fossil record that shows a snapshot in their time, you know, like a story it, like, yeah. like to do dinosaurs. There's a pair of called fighting dinosaurs from Mongolia, it's a Velociraptor and a Protoceratops. You can Google that one too. That one is probably and, the more, most famous version yeah, of those two. It, it definitely is. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one of the most famous dinosaur discoveries out there. And yeah, um, I, I hope to someday visit that exhibit too. That would definitely be very impressive. So, I mean, outside of just finding this basically work of art mixed with history, mixed with just science and unknown mystery, I mean, what was going through your mind when you found it? <laughs> you were it, was, it, out. it was it was just unbelievable. You know, we couldn't have made this up if we'd have tried. You know, it, it, we, we were very blessed. We didn't find it sitting on the couch, but... You know, we, we put a lot of work and effort into it and it took a lot of years to get to where we are with it. But, but, uh, it's, it's been a fascinating fun ride that just, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be a part of. So obviously ceratopsians have more of a beak shape. I actually have <clears throat> a little protoceratops up here. And as yeah. you can see, it's got more of a beak kind of build. Nano Tyrannus didn't have that. Was there any like kind of because one of the big debates going on is if dinosaurs had lips, right? Which is something that I was actually not really aware of until another interview guy that I interviewed, till he brought it up. So, could was there any like anything around the rock, anything imprinting on the skull that kind of indicated that Nano Tyrannus might have had lips or maybe didn't? You know, that debate came about after we did the dueling dinosaurs. My friend Chris, who is really not mortal when it comes to preparation techniques, he's 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 world class, very good at it. Um, you don't you don't want me to prep your dinosaur, but my friend Chris is is amazing and very good at it. Um, but anyway, he he did the initial prep work on the dueling dinosaurs, and of course we wanted to showcase the skull. That's always the coolest part. So we actually went through some of that matrix, which possibly could have helped settle that debate. Um, and that happens, you know, that happens as, as things evolve and new theories come out, you, you test them. And there is skin around both of those dinosaurs that we found. The dueling dinosaurs have skin around both skeletons. We found it on the uh, Ceratopsin as he was starting to prepare them. We, and we definitely see that halo. It's, there was a halo around the dinosaurs as I was finding them in the field. I, I knew there was going to be a bone right under it because I, I'd hit that halo. And I'm, I'm, at the time, of course, I didn't even know it was skin. In 20 years ago, skin wasn't even a big thing on dinosaurs. Um, so uh, things have really changed in this field just since I've gotten into it. Um, so I'd see, I'd see that halo and I'm like, oh, there's bone going to be bone right under here. And sure enough, there was. And it was skin that I was actually going through in the field and didn't even realize it. And on the nanotyrannus, that skin is so delicate that even on 5 PSI with the microblaster, Chris couldn't really get it to separate um, to where you could see the pattern. But on the ceratopsian, on the hip of the ceratopsian, you could actually see big stop sign patterns. Um, very cool visible skin pattern on it. And I think as techniques evolve and keep continue to, you know, the scientists that are working on, we're going to obviously take extra caution and they're in a lab setting now to where they can do everything state of the art that we have the capabilities of doing um, possibly even CT scans, whatever they do um, that I think, and I hope that we will see some kind of evidence of skin, you know, pattern. I doubt we'll get color. Um, you know, colors are tough. You, you mentioned that there was a ginger color on that dinosaur from China. And, and I don't know a lot about that. Um, I'm not a scientist that studies dinosaur skin color. 
but I know it's tough. Um, the little bit of research I've done is tough to really distinguish how to, how to determine what colors dinosaurs were. But um, yeah, there's, there's just a million things on the dueling dinosaurs that I can't wait to see what they find out about them. So clearly, as most people in the paleontology field, dinosaurs brought you into it. It's just basically what gets everybody into this. I doubt there's very few people that something else brought them into it. What is your favorite like time period to look at? Um, you know, people get hung up on that too. <clears throat> Other people argue about that too, but there's there's people that believe the Earth's only four thousand years old. There's people who believe that it's four billion years old. Uh, it's all theories, folks. <laughs> no one knows, and so. I, I guess I don't get hung up on the time period so much. I, I do like the Hell Creek Formation, which is supposedly in the Cretaceous era. And, you know, that's where we find the T-Rex and the Triceratops. And those are the dinosaurs that I'm fam most familiar with. So, so I guess if I had to pick a, a time frame, you know, in the basic thought of geologic time, it would be that one. I mean, that's my personal favorite because I'm really into the dinosaur look of prehistoric life, if that makes sense. Yeah. So from basically the Triassic to the Cretaceous is where I'm most focused on. Yeah. I might do some mammal things here and there, maybe some proto reptile or a proto dinosaur kind of thing. But my main focus personally is just dinosaurs because that's what I've always been in. Sure. So I personally got into dinosaurs because of Jurassic Park. Yeah. Which is probably <laughs> Actually, one, of the, too, to be honest with you. <laughs> one of one of the biggest <laughs> things that brought like a lot of people into dinosaurs. It did. Yeah. It really, really sparked the interest. I mean, even for their time, the dinosaurs in the movie portrayed were fairly accurate. True. For the time. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. Now, of course, <laughs> we know that they're not because new theories, all that comes out. Sure. But so have you seen all the Jurassic Park movies? I think I've seen them all, yeah. Which one was your favorite? Oh, the first one, of course. I, I'm sticking with that, too. The first one is <laughs> yeah, it's just the that. best one. It sets up the world, introduces you to the world. I mean, yep. <laughs> it's just epic. <laughs> my, my personal favorite character is Dr. Alan Grant. Okay. So what about you? Who's your favorite character in that? Oh, John Hammond, no question. Yeah. No question. <laughs> Spared no expense. And on actually, the um guy who plays John Hammond, I think his name is John Attenborough. I'm still right. His brother did Prehistoric Planet. Right, he did. David yep. Attenborough. Right. Yeah. Which was like they got like a whole family lineage of dinosaur <laughs> cool. media now. Right. <laughs> Pretty cool, pretty cool family dynasty of dinosaur-related stuff going on there. And then the new thing that came out last, well, a couple Wednesdays ago. Oh, God, I don't remember the date. It was in October. I think it was the October 25th. Um, Life on Our Planet on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I actually, I actually had to buy a TV to watch myself on the Discovery Channel. I, I never grew up with one, so I've never watched a lot of TV. <laughs> I mean... It's uh, not voice act. I always say voice act, but it's not voice act. It's narrated by Morgan Freeman. So okay, yep. I mean, can't go wrong with Morgan Freeman. He's got a I, very nice voice. He's he's an awesome actor. Yeah, <clears throat> and so, a neat fella. I, I I don't know a lot about him, but I but I like what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, oh whoa! I'm going out of order. So do you have any, outside of the dueling dinos and that, do you have any like eventful stories from your digs that you'd like to share? Oh, the, the Stygia Moloch, I'll share a quick story about that. So my friend Mark and Aitman and I were out dinosaur hunting uh, in 2003, so 20 years ago, actually. Um, and I found this little dome sticking out of the rock. And I, I was actually walking around this gumbo butte and I look over about 50 feet away and I see this little round rock looking thing and i thought it was a gastrolith at first a, a dinosaur gizzard stone um polished you know i find them occasionally out here in the hills and so anyway i thought oh, i better go take a closer look so i had a piece of turtle shell in my hand that i just picked up 
then I'm rubbing the dirt off of it, thinking about this turtle's life, you know, as I'm walking around this butte and I see this thing and I walk over to it. And, and then I realize that it's actually a pachycephalosaurid dome, which is the bonehead dinosaurs. And they have that bony, you know, basically big solid chunk of bone on top of their head. And they figure they may be head butted or whatever. But at any rate, this one, as we started to do a little excavation, I realized it had horns and looked like a dragon and it was a Stygimoloch. And um, anyway, that afternoon, we there was a big thunderstorm off in the distance and it was headed our way. And so we started digging like crazy and getting it plastered. Um, the skull was tipped up just a little bit. So the nose was basically three quarters eroded away and the back of the skull with the horns was still intact. So we, we scooped up as many buckets of dirt and stuff as we could to pick up all the fragments around it and, you know, try to get everything we could to get this put piece back together best we could. And uh, we took a few bags of dirt and, and bucket pulls of dirt and then we jacketed it quickly. And just like half an hour before the rain hit, we were able to pop it out, the, the plaster hardened, and we got it out of there. And it, it literally, the guy that prepared it told me that if it would have taken, taken that big rainstorm that night, probably would have washed away a good portion of the hole underneath of the pallet. And uh, a, a good bit of, more of the skull would have been lost because it would have just crumbled. There was, a, there was a cavity underneath it, like a sinkhole, um, which forms in, in, in the Hill Creek Formation a lot. And, and I don't need to go into that. But anyway, there was a hole underneath it that if the water would have poured down through it from one more rain, it would have washed most of the pallet away. So there's a short window of time to find and collect a fossil before it just turns back to dust. So I like to, I like to say I, I'm saving dinosaurs from the second extinction, which is natural erosion. And at any rate, that's just a cool little story about the, the, the Stygimoloch that I want to share with you. So, I mean... I mean, I've personally never been on an actual dino dig where I have to take it out of the ground, but I've been to Dinosaur National Park. Cool. I haven't even, yeah, you're ahead of me. I haven't got to go there yet. So <laughs> on my list. Of course, they have the giant famous wall that everybody knows full of dinosaur bones. You get you can see part of the Allosaurus, the Camarasaurus, yeah. some cool. other random dinosaurs crossing around. And they have like a little walk that you can go around. You can yep. find like fossils and stuff sticking out of the ground. Yep. And another reason why Allosaurus is personally one of my favorite is because, I mean, it's probably easier to show off like this. Is that I got this from Dinosaur National Park. Cool. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure TSA had a field day with this. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, man. <laughs> this this is a juvenile allosaurus is what everything was telling so they got bigger than this yep which is crazy to think about that i mean that's my hand so oh that's insane <laughs> very cool <laughs> it's awesome that that replica of it and also it's allosaurus so it wasn't even the like bigger predators because allosaurus was pretty big but it wasn't the biggest i mean i could only imagine just finding like the sauropod femur yeah where it's like two times as long as somebody right i always think about because the um ancient persians thought that they were like giants and the chinese the ancient chinese thought that they were dragons and part of europe thought they were dragons too I mean, I, I wouldn't – if we didn't know what dinosaurs were and we found, like, a T-Rex skull, I would probably say it was a dragon, too. Oh, yeah. There's I, actually a show that my Stygimoloch was actually featured in for about 30 seconds. It was called Quest for Dragons. I think it was on the History Channel probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And that was the theory behind the show. They, they thought, you know, okay, you have these ancient civilizations with – creatures carved on their totem poles and you know chinese have dragons in their cultures and and japanese and all around the world all these different cultures had things that look like dragons or you know behemoths or giant creatures and and so anyway yeah were they finding fossils and just imagined that these creatures were alive and real and walking the earth somewhere and and so it was just cool yeah because i mean even even in like the hell creek formation i'm sure there were like native americans living there too that I mean, because some of these aren't, like, completely buried. They're, like, jutting out a little bit, aren't they? Right. Yeah. I, I've actually seen Triceratops skulls um, basically laying on the surface. But once they hit the surface, they're not in very good condition anymore. You know, they're they're 
some of them are just too far gone to even collect. You can see the outline of a skull there and that's about it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not hard to imagine that a Native American walked around and saw one and thought, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, you see like a bone and if you don't really have like, because obviously we know that there was some sort of time gap between us and the dinosaurs and that they went extinct and that you don't see triceratops walking around anymore. Right. But if you didn't know that and you haven't been outside of your like well, village the knowledge we have now. You know, that the bottom line they just didn't have the knowledge we have now about about dinosaurs. I mean that's basically how it is. I mean I would yeah. If I didn't know any better, I'd think that Triceratops was out west too. I mean, oh, absolutely. You see a, a skeleton laying there, or a, or a skull, or something. You think this creature's, you know, <laughs> dang. Hope I don't meet him in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even just like the new studies of like dinosaur vocalization too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because everybody knows the famous T Rex roar from Jurassic Park, and it's like that wasn't even accurate though. It's not accurate anymore, which is crazy and it's like well what did it sound like then and then somebody did a study on it and then now we have like this like new kind of study of what t-rex could have sounded like and there's a lot of theories in that <laughs> a lot of theories going on there. there's a lot of theories and everything yep <laughs> yep <laughs> it, it's also part of the charm because you can also like formulate your own idea yep. Yeah, use your own head. Exactly. Exactly. But, I mean, that's kind of why I don't look at one source whenever I take notes for things dinosaurs related because there are so many different theories and so many different places that they come from that it's like which one is right? And you, it could be any of them. It could be multiple of them. It could be just this one and this other one. I mean, it's always crazy. Like, um, one of the most famous examples of an, well, it's not pretty uh, famous, but it, it's an episode that I did pretty recently was Brontomerius, which is a sauropod. And apparently it had the strongest, uh, hip kind of thing or like hip bone so they thought that maybe it kicked predators i'd kick at it but <laughs> there's also like a study that it might have lived in the mountains so it might have just needed more stronger hips to go up a mountain because sure taking yeah. a, lot, a lot of it's just just cowboy logic you know a lot of it's I mean, just cowboy logic <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you taking have, ten tons up a mountain. Just, just come up with some of these theories. <laughs> taking ten tons of taking ten tons up a mountain isn't going to be easy work, right? <laughs> you need to be strong, but it's like, well, they both could be right. If it's strong, yeah. it has to take itself up a mountain. Why couldn't it kick things? Exactly. Yep. I mean, and even like the feather theory, the the two debates that I hear most are. They're either complete reptiles or they're like birds. But why isn't there some kind of in between? Right. Like I think like a triceratops wouldn't be covered in feathers like that. There is something. I I my it my would... son Luke actually found one when he was ten years old. He found one of the best triceratops skeletons uh, out there, and we recovered it. it. Was it was fairly complete from about the hips forward, and there was skin on that one too. And there's actually some kind of quills or something i don't know we could in this in the uh basically stop sign pattern you know hexagon whatever looking pattern of skin on it there were these little tube things and i don't know if they were maybe wormholes through the dirt or exactly what they are but there's something and they were randomly spaced around through these these uh this pattern of skin on it and i'm really anxious to see what the heck that could possibly be what it, it really seemed like almost quills to me so i so i don't know there's there's I something on there I think of a triceratops kind of like a rhino. Yep. So like a rhino isn't covered in feathers, but it kind of has body hair on it. Yeah. So it could have been something like that too. It could have. Yeah. Yeah. It's just super fun to speculate and, and wonder and hope someday to find out about. I mean, there's just so much 
that we're missing. And for all we know, we could be missing hat. Like we're still haven't discovered like 99% of the species. Haven't we? I, 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 I couldn't tell you the number, but I bet you we have only scratched the surface. It's a vast majority of them that we probably don't even know about. And there's probably a portion in that that we will never know about. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yep. I think about like. It takes a special yeah. circumstance for, the, for a fossil to become a fossil. You know, it has to be buried rapidly after the animal dies or it just turns back to dust, you know, from natural erosion and weathering on the surface. You know, a skeleton doesn't last very long. You, you take a cow out here. I, 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 I was raised on a ranch and so I, I, I was a cowboy for the first 20 years of my life. And then I started getting into dinosaurs. But at any rate, uh, well, the first 30 years, I, and actually I still have a small ranch cows on so anyway i every so often a cow will die whether of old age or sickness or you know predators whatever and so one time after a fire i was sitting up on this ridge and i here's this cow skeleton and it probably died maybe 10 years before this fire came through and i'm way up on this ridge and, and of course the black ground you know from the fires it's just all black and there's these white bones out on this flat and it's probably a uh, the flat was maybe a quarter mile square and all corners of that flat had pieces of that skeleton where coyotes or whatever had drugged that skeleton pieces, bits and parts here and there. And so you can see how hard it is for a fossil to become fossilized and perfect. You know, a, a skeleton gets ripped apart by predators and, and just, just, you know, as, as the muscles and stuff deteriorate and rot off the skeleton, the bones start to separate and the tendons dissolve and, you know, the, the bones get scattered, whatever. And so it has to get buried quick to become a fossil. So it's super rare. And yeah, the, the, the fossil record is very spotty. Something buried a lot of dinosaurs quickly, though. I mean, it's not hard. I, I literally used to tell people I walk by um, truckloads of dinosaur bones, fragments that are just gone and weathered away, but you find the fragments. That's all that's left of it. Um, now I say train car loads, and I'm not exaggerating. I have a chunkosaur pile. When I dig in my river channel, um, every day we recover about a five-gallon bucket full of broken fragments. Wow. Um, and they're just, they're, I call them chunkosaur. They're tumbled chunks of dinosaur bone that some of them have bite marks. Some of them are cool. Some of them are just unidentifiable chunks that you really are never going to gain any knowledge from. You know, you might be able to tell it's a plant eater versus a meat eater, and that's about it. Um, you know, it's not something that anybody's going to put a number on an acquisition into their collections or anything like that. It's, it's chunkosaur. And, and I like to give, to give it away to kids, but I save it. And so I bring it home and I have a giant chunkosaur pile over the last 20 years of digging in my yard here that, that you know, I let people come through, if, if, you know, friends, family, hunters people that come out, recreationists, whatever. I live quite a ways from town. But anyway, if someone stops by, a lot of times we get to visiting and I, you know, they want to know about more about what I do. And so I'll take them over my chunk of pile. Hey, grab it, you know, and, and it's just fun. I mean, I, uh, the conditions for like dinosaurs to be preserved is, again, primarily is in sediment rock. But those are also like, solid bone dinosaurs like you mentioned a cow so like a cow bone is pretty solid what about things like pterosaurs where the bones were more hollow because they flied they're about... rare because of that <laughs> we found that, some like... bones we found some pterosaur bones in my channel um man you have to be you have to see it exactly perfectly at the right time your knife you know if i i, I don't like to say i broke a lot of bones but if you have never broke a fossil, you've never dug very many, or you've never found very many because you have to move the dirt to find them. And if you don't move the dirt, you know, if I, if I, if I had done all my digging in the last 25 years with a toothbrush or a dental pick, I promise you, I wouldn't have found a fraction of the dinosaurs I've found. And have I broken a few? Yes, I have. But I've also found and recovered a vast majority more. And, and so there's, there's a fine line. It does me no good to break a fossil. That's not what I'm out here wanting to do ever. But when you have a pterosaur bone that's like a chicken bone and it's paper thin and you put your knife in, chances are it's going to just disintegrate and there's no recovery from that because they just turn to coffee grounds. So you have to see it. The dirt has to flick off that just right in my river channel. Granted, every site is different. Don't get me wrong. I've done sites where you know there's, you know, say a little raptor or something. You found some little pieces. I, I actually recovered a little uh, new kind of oviraptor. It's a new species. It's about the size of a turkey. And that one I took out in a giant block, but I knew where that skeleton was. Um, I didn't say, I shouldn't say giant block. I took, took the whole thing out in a block that I was able to pick up and carry. But at any rate, that's, that's different than digging in the river channel because the river channel, you have to move the dirt and you don't know, you know, there's no signs saying there's going to be another fossil there. You just know there will be because it's deposited in the river, but you have to move the dirt to find them. 
a skeleton site's much different, you know, and, and even though a skeleton site is still tough because if the skeleton's disarticulated and not laying like it died, you might have to go 10 feet of rock before you find the next bone. And I promise you, if I were to do all that by hand, I use a skid steer and shave my sites that are scattered out like that. And I shave a half inch off at a time, go back and forth and till you find the next bone pocket or the next piece of bone. And, you know, you notice it, you can see the different colors in the rock and, and you'll stop. And then you move down to a smaller tool. You take your shovel and you start excavating or possibly your knife. And, and then you move down to a brush and glue and start saving it. There's it's, the techniques are different on every single site. But yeah, the pterosaur bones are incredibly rare because they're so darn fragile. So, like, I mean, that's why we don't know a lot of the pterosaurs because we haven't found, we find good specimens for them, but they're very rare. Think about all the possible species that could have existed that just don't because of, like, conditions like that. It right. always makes you wonder, like, what could you be walking over that is like oh. a complete <laughs> yeah. new species? Yeah. yeah, that crosses my mind every time I go hiking and prospecting for dinosaurs. I, how many have I been within 10 feet of? And whether it was underground, just around a sagebrush where I couldn't see the fragment on the other side of the hill, you know, six, just 10 feet. Tell me how many dinosaurs I've walked by within 10 feet of that I did not find to recover because I just didn't see the signs of it. I mean, there's so much that we couldn't know yeah <laughs> but it's fun on, to speculate <laughs> it's on fun top to, of like look there's been fossilization on top of the time that you take them out if you don't preserve them right then they get damaged and it's not something that you can just kind of replace i mean right no once it's lost it's lost yeah and, and if you don't do your job right in the field you you, you can lose a lot of that data for sure and I've, and I've learned, I, I didn't have any formal training to do this. I, it's, I'm self-taught and did I make mistakes in the beginning? Yes. Do I still make mistakes? Absolutely. We try to minimize those because a broken fossil does no one any good, <laughs> including me. <laughs> I mean, clearly there, there's like set conditions, but it could also be like, an area of where they went extinct if the kt extinction like idea is is right i mean that area near where the asteroid would have hit i mean the dinosaurs there probably wouldn't be preserved as well as somewhere across the planet right and i and i i don't have you know <laughs> i i don't have any really things to say about that other than you know something buried a lot of them quickly um, for me to find the amount of dinosaur bones that I found and the skeletons and, the, you know, some of the cool stuff we've gotten to recover, something buried a lot of fossils quickly. Uh, I mean, you know, wiped them out and buried them fast. Uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. Neither was anyone else. But it's fun to think about. So how long have you been doing the whole dinosaur dig? Thing? Just a little over 20 years. 20 years? Do you remember, do, like, do you remember what happened on your first dig, what you found? Would you like yeah, I do, that? actually. <laughs> I found a bunch of fragments, <laughs> and and it piqued my interest. Uh, I, uh, how I got into it was I was working on a ranch as a cowboy, just just uh, taking care of this guy's livestock, and uh, a fella came out to the ranch, and he asked the landowner if he could go fossil hunting, and I thought, what's this crazy bugger doing, you know? So he, he went out for the day, and he did, you know, he, well, actually, he camped for the weekend, and he came back, and he was showing me these pieces, and <laughs> Incidentally, you mentioned Jurassic Park. It was right after the Jurassic Park movies first came out. And so dinosaur craze was high. People were, you know, excited about dinosaurs. And this this fellow had found this piece of Triceratops frill. And it was like a four-inch square piece of frill, the shield at the back of a Triceratops skull. And uh, it was just a chunk of fossil bone. But he said, yeah, I can probably get $500 for this piece. And I said, okay, just a minute. You went out and took a hike and you found a bone and you came back and you didn't sell it for 500 bucks. I bet I could do that. So... The next chance I had, I was out fencing, uh, fixing fence on this ranch, and, and I got my fencing done, got the fence fixed that I needed to fix, and so I decided to just take a hike. And I walked around this little butte, and there's just fragments everywhere. And I'm like, oh, geez. So I, I filled my pockets. I walked back to the pickup, emptied my pockets, and I had my staple bucket from my fencing project. So I dumped the staples in the back of the pickup and take my bucket pretty quick, my bucket's full. So I go back to the pickup. I look behind the seat, and there's an old feed sack, a grain sack 
at behind the seat. And I'm like, oh, all right, that'll work. So I start filling it. And I got in about half four full of chunk of sore before I realized, hey, I got to learn something about this. You know, this is insane. And and so it's not hard to find a dinosaur. It's hard to find a good dinosaur. It's it's not hard to find a fossil of a dinosaur out here in, in the Badlands of Montana, but it is hard to find a good one. And I've spent a lot of time looking. If I had a dollar for every step I've taken looking for dinosaurs, I'd probably be doing a whole lot better than I am right now. But it's been fun and, and I have enjoyed it. And hopefully I can continue to, you know, find more and share them with people so everybody gets to enjoy them. That's always the, I mean, I was talking to one dude, his account's called Fossil Fiend. Um, he, he does the same thing, basically. He just goes out and he digs up dinosaur bones. And of course, everybody's like, oh, T-Rex, that's got to be so rare. You must never find T-Rex bones. And he was like, no, you can find T-Rex tooth that big, just like, sticking out of the ground one day you'll just find like eight of them in one day this is the best one i found this summer <laughs> it was yeah. in my river channel it's about a five and a half inch and it's a pretty nice one um a, a cousin of mine's son is, is digging with my boys and i and he uncovered this rooted tyrannosaur tooth and we actually have about 30 bones now recovered from my river channel to this dinosaur i believe it all is associated which is insane i've never dug in a river channel that has associated material but this pocket i'm working now does and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, and if you, if you have any interest in doing this book a trip with my brother, first thing, um, and before you go out, you have to have permission from the landowner, whether, and, and I can't go on federal land. I can't actually, I am on our local museum board here in, in, uh, Eastern Montana. I volunteer at our local museum and I can't actually get a permit to go on federal ground and dig one up and donate it to our local museum. If I wanted to do it on my dime and my time, I'm not, a, I'm not able to do that, even though I've been doing it 20 years and I'm fully capable of recovering dinosaurs. I can't get a permit to do it. That's reserved for universities and academics. So I can only hunt on private land with the landowner's permission. So you can't just go randomly out and hunt, you know, dinosaur bones. You have to do it in a correct way and you have to be, you know, you have to follow the laws and you have to do it the right way. I mean, I'm guessing if it's on your land, you can just do whatever you want at that, at that point. You can. Yep. If And and I actually helped pass legislation and a new law regarding that. Um, if you research the dueling dinosaurs, you'll see there was a seven-year lawsuit. Um, uh, it was over the mineral rights on the land. So the mineral owners had owned the land previously, and they sold their share of the surface rights to uh, the people that had been working for them for 30-some years or something like that. Um, they ended up selling their part of the surface to them, but they retain mineral rights on the dueling dinosaurs, the land with them on. Well, my contract and my, um, I guess, yeah, contract that I had when I found them and we started excavating them was with the landowner, the surface landowner, right? No one, had, no one had ever dealt with a mineral holder before in the history of our nation on, uh, minerals, you know, for fossils. Uh, nobody had ever contacted a mineral holder and said, because a lot of times out in the West, well, all over the United States is the surface rights are severed from the mineral rights. The mineral rights have been severed off in the deed. And when you buy property, you, you know, check your deed or check your, do your, do your due diligence. You may not own the minerals when the, when the deed comes to you, you may not own what's underneath it. Um, and so, well, actually in 1918, Earl Douglas had tried to claim minerals as, or fossils on Dinosaur National Park as a mineral because he owned the mineral rights there. And it went, it went to a hearing and the, and the panel ruled, no, it's not a, you know, it's a surface, right? It's not a, it's not a mineral. Fossils aren't minerals. A dead animal is not a mineral. And simple. Okay. So everybody relied on that Earl Douglas decision for the last hundred years, but nobody had ever really challenged it through our court system. And so the, the mineral holders on this dueling dinosaurs, they sold the surface rights a year before we found the dueling dinosaurs. So there was seller's remorse. They definitely felt, you know, like they should have, whatever they, they screwed up, you know, they sold it. Well, let's come after it and say it's a mineral. We did retain those. We're going to try to claim it's a mineral. So they threatened litigation, you know, or, or threatened the title of who owned the dinosaur. And so we really had no choice but to settle that before we could do anything or move forward with the project. And my name wasn't on the lawsuit, but I was helping the landowners that I had worked with and had the contract with um, pay what we all had to, you know, hire attorneys and, and get this settled. And seven years later, we finally actually passed a new legislation in Montana, and which I, I, I'm now familiar with our loss system a whole lot better than I ever was. And I tried to live my life to avoid attorneys. <laughs> I'm like John Hammond when he said, he said, the only one on my side is a blood-sucking attorneys. That's just how I feel. I, I've tried to avoid them because 
I like to be a decent human being and my life in a way to not get myself in a position or, you know, take advantage of anyone or get myself in a position to have to have an attorney. It's just not what I do. And at any rate, seven years later, we finally passed a new law in Montana. And also the case, uh, the first, the first round, we lost, we actually won the first round. And then of course the, the mineral holders challenged it to the ninth circuit. The ninth circuit actually did an erroneous ruling. A three judge panel didn't even look at the case, just decided, oh, we're going to say it's a mineral all of a sudden. Well, that changed everything because no one had ever dealt with the mineral holders. Every collection, <coughs> private collection, all of a sudden was under possibility of new ownership. So it just, you know, all of a sudden we had a lot of help from paleontology as a whole. They joined our side, wrote letters. We filed an amicus brief, which asked a bigger panel of judges to look at it. The Ninth Circuit looked it over again, realized they may have made a mistake and kicked it quietly back to the Montana Supreme Court. But in the meantime, we had passed a, a new law in Montana. We went to the legislature and got it corrected. And so when they kicked it back to the Montana Supreme Court, it was virtually over. And so seven years of litigation was settled finally. And we prevailed. And now all museum collections that were under severed ownership, mineral rights are, are, are safe again. And I get to continue to do what I do. So it's so it, it all worked out. I'm not mad at our justice system. It's still the best one in the world. It's just not for the little guy. We were fighting people that lived in a 40,000 square foot house in the Florida Keys. <laughs> they, they had nine attorneys star one. So it tells me that there is some justice in our justice system. And you know, things will work out in the end if you, pers you know, you can persevere and, and uh, it's, it's all good. But I learned something that I didn't ever want to have to pay for. <laughs> Got a so, lesson I didn't ever want to have to pay for in our, in our legal system. But it's all good now. So basically they stuck with dinosaurs aren't minerals now? Yes. Is that what yes. we're sticking with? Yep. And, any, and, and if any other state or any other place challenges it, our court case will be the one that the, they refer back to. And they'll say, oh, this has already been asked. This question is over. We're just the lucky ones that got to pay for that new law <laughs> and it wasn't cheap because <laughs> i mean they wouldn't be minerals because it's a bone bones aren't really minerals well a fifth grader could have answered the question i didn't see why it took our court seven years to answer it a dead animal is not a mineral look it up in the dictionary a fossil is not look look up the word fossil in the dictionary whatever it should have been so simple but it was not it was seven years of stress, but I'm glad it's behind us. And I feel really thankful to be a part of that. And I've learned a lot from it. And, you know, now people can go and enjoy collecting fossils and, and know that they're protected. And I'm sure a lot of the people with private collections were like, hang on a minute. We're not doing that right now. Well, um, absolutely. It, it, it would have changed everything. It would have, it would have threw it in such disarray. And, you know, all of a sudden, all these, all these fossils that came from land that had a severed estate, was in jeopardy of new ownership. So, I mean, it would have opened up an entire Pandora's box and, and nobody wanted that. And for obvious reasons. So that when, when the ninth circuit really started looking into it and it was saddened me because those three judges that did it and, you know, you always wonder if there wasn't something, something underneath the table that went on. Cause come on, wouldn't a case like that be interestingly enough that you do your homework on it and see what maybe had been done in the past before you, jeopardized all these collections <laughs> it just blew me away that they didn't even take time to think about what their react you know what their consequences of what their decision was i mean but at any rate it's all behind us and it's all good so i i don't like talking bad about people and i don't want to go any farther into it but so it's just not what i do i, I i'm glad it turned out in a good way and and uh, it was cool to be a part of i just wish we wouldn't have had to go through it <laughs> i mean that's always a little bit aggravating whenever you're like, well, your your decision here kind of overturned a lot of stuff, but it wasn't a good decision. So now you have to wait a really long time till they revoke it or whatever. And then they do something else on top of it to make it make that revocation permanent. That always takes forever. It's not it, <laughs> yeah. Like I say I learned learned a lot about our justice system. I never wanted to learn to pay for, but it's all good now. Yeah. Well, are there any other questions you have for me, Eric? I, I probably should get going here. I mean, outside of, do you have anything cool you want to show off? Um. Well, I yeah, I showed you those. I, I can I can turn this around maybe and and uh, do a quick rundown. I don't know what I can show you, but this is this is actually a a jaw to probably a, a juvenile Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was found in my river channel. And I'm pretty excited about it because this, even this little piece will help settle that debate we were talking about, Nanotranus versus uh, juvenile T-Rex. And uh, so this one, I'm pretty sure, probably comes from a T-Rex. I think the, the sockets are just, you know, banana-shaped. They're not, they're not blade-like shaped sockets. Sadly, there were no teeth in this jaw. It's just a section of jaw. 
And that's likely all I'll get from this dinosaur. It was in a river channel. So this is tumbled down the river, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 miles. So it, you know, it, it can't tell us a lot, but it, it is one more piece of the puzzle. And, and, you know, that's what we're always looking for uh, when I'm out there dinosaur hunting. And, and, you know, you, you, you try to find those rare little pieces that actually may mean something to science and, and help answer some questions. So, I mean, thank you for your time. Always an honor to talk to somebody who's into, who's actually doing the paleontology stuff. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. And yeah, it's been great talking to you and I hope you make it out. Yeah. Come out digging. Look at trip. I mean, of course. Boat. I mean, I gotta, I'm definitely taking a few trips out West. Cool. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely my plan. So, I mean, if you don't have any questions for me, I mean, I guess I'll let you go. All right. No, I can't think of any offhand, but yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's been fun visiting with you. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your time. You betcha. And Take care, Eric. All right. Have a good one. You too. And I'll catch you later. So that was Clayton with the wow, the dinosaur cowboy. Don't know why I was blanking on that name. So. Please go check out his Instagram. Oop, I'm not showing anything. There we go. Please go check out his Instagram. Uh, it's kind of blurry. Um, amazing guy, as you guys just saw. I mean, I loved his work. Uh, I love what I love what he does. I mean, and I really hope that I can get him back on the show, maybe with some new questions in the future. And Just thank you for your time, man. I mean, it was always a pleasure. I know you're probably going to end up watching this, or I hope you end up watching this. So thank you for your time. Um, yeah, I'm your host, Eric Crawford. Remember to follow on Instagram. Here's the Instagram for anybody who isn't following it. Uh Got to pull everything up. Here is the website for anybody who's curious. You, from here, you can get to the Instagram and the YouTube and all that. Let me just do this. From here, you can get to the Instagram and the YouTube. Here is the YouTube channel. As you can see, the interview with the Russian archaeologist is to premiere on 11-6-23. So that should be Monday. I'm not good with dates. I just know the day, know the time. Um, so please go check that out. And like I said, the the um website. Wow, I'm stuttering today. Is the hub for all that? And actually, while I'm here, I might as well show off. This was his brother's site. So please go check that out too. Um, you can go book a dig with an actual paleontologist. Go check that out. Please. Apparently here's the book your dig section. Dinosaur Cowboy. That's a cool logo. And yeah, I mean... I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And I'll catch you all next time. Uh, and actually, while I'm here, I should probably do this more often so that you guys can actually see. What the website looks like. This is what the website looks like. So nope, it's not loaded. Hang on. Here you go. This is what the website looks like. Um, here's Dromaeosaurus, Rapatosaurus. You scroll all the way down. Here's the Instagram. So please go check out the Instagram too. Um, yeah, and that's all for me. So I'll see you all next time for another episode with Prehistoric Life Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Crawford. Remember, keep it prehistoric. Bye. Thank you.